Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic is a very important one. Breaking down barriers to DEI. DEI meaning diversity, equity, and inclusion. So there are a lot of organizations who actually have recognized the importance of DEI, but then they also have reported challenges when they try to implement it. And some of those challenges could be like resistance to change. Many times the leadership is not fully committed to it, even though they have announced it. They talk about unconscious bias. They even talk about a soft metric or, in fact, having difficulty even measuring the impact. And all of these things have been instrumental in not allowing people to implement it effectively and fully. So we are, most of us are, in some form or fashion, starting this journey, or we are somewhere along the way. But then the idea is, while we are at it, how can we make this journey and the value that we can derive from DEI, how can we maximize that value? And what does it take to build a more inclusive, innovative work culture, which will allow us to thrive in coming times? Very interesting and a timely topic. And for this, I couldn't have a better guest than Rob Zelinka, who's the CIO with Jack Henry and Associates. Hey, Rob, how are you? Good morning, Sanjay. Great to be with you today. Great to have you again, sir. So, you know, let's right, jump right in and, and let's talk about the top challenges that you, you feel organizations face when they try to implement DEI fully, I would I would believe that people understand the value, but maybe it's a good idea for you to share what you feel is the perceived or the actual value of DEI. But also at the same time, let's also talk about the challenges people are facing, organizations are facing as they're trying to implement it. Sure. Um, thank you for the opportunity. This is a topic I'm really passionate about. Uh, so I always felt that I'm better uh, to surround myself with people that come with diverse opinions, diverse thoughts, uh, diverse experiences. And, and a lot of that was driven out of uh, being a part of a global organization for much of my career, having to manage uh, people that live in other parts of the world. And, and there are certain customs, there are certain um, cultures um, that, that are prevalent there. And I'm always a, a pupil. I always want to continue to learn. And so I think that at the highest level is the value associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there's one more letter that I want to introduce here. And that, that fourth letter is called belonging. And I think that's where everything comes together and where ultimately the rubber meets the road. And we can get into that over the course of our conversation. Let's pivot now to the challenges. And you articulated one of those challenges in the intro, uh, the first being unconscious bias. And I think we all have to accept and embrace the fact that we all have an unconscious bias. And, and, um, and the sooner that we can understand that we do and identify what they are, the better we are uh, going to, to be at, at addressing how do we approach it. Uh, an, another um, 
area that poses challenge is inadequate training or resources. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, this is an important topic, but it's another to, to think that you can manage through that topic without bringing in someone that has knowledge and experience to drive a programmatic effort like this forward. And then the last area that I think is a challenge for people is the lack of executive leadership buy-in and support for the initiative. So whether it's DEI or whether it's funding um, an investment in a platform or, or you know, an approach for how you're going to return to office, if you will, it, it will ultimately fail if ex the executive level leaders within the company are not behind it, supporting it, evangelizing it. Um, so those are the biggest um, factors that I think pose the challenge to people. Now, when you mentioned about these challenges, uh, I'm sure there were remedies or, or, you know, techniques people might have used to tackle them. What would you say some of the techniques would be which people tried and it'll be good to see which worked and which did not work? Yeah. So let's, I, for me, it always starts with um, educating people. So we, we focus on providing uh, adequate resources that includes training. It includes um, introducing the topic, the concept, you know, what is DEI? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Um, creating and fostering an environment where people can openly discuss DEI. So for instance, at Jack Henry, we, under the auspice of the chief operating officer, have created four key tenants that we use to drive effective outcomes for Jack Henry and, more importantly, for the communities and the customers we serve. And we refer to them as the three C's and a T. So let's start with the T. T stands for transparency. And so we want to create an environment where people can come into a conversation with transparency um, in an environment that is open, where you don't have to feel like you're, you're being judged, where you can be vulnerable if you, if you uh, need to be vulnerable. And then of course, the only way that works is to foster and create an environment where people are collaborating and working together. And, and so as you might imagine, when you bring a whole group of people together to talk about a topic, any topic, you're going to have a variety of different personalities. You're going to have some introverted personalities. You're going to have some extroverted personalities. And you are going to have to find a way to spur the conversation in such a way where uh, it doesn't make people feel uncomfortable, um, but it, it, it ultimately drives an outcome. Uh, so, so that's an area of, of where we start, which is on the uh, providing the training and the resources. Um, I talked about unconscious bias. I think the most important thing there to do is to not be afraid to, to, to show vulnerability and say, hey, look, we all have these un, uh, unconscious biases. And so at Jack Henry, for instance, we provided enterprise level training that we conducted a couple of years ago and we provide it more with more frequency um, year after year to just ensure that it's part of our DNA. So, you know, when you're onboarded as a new employee in part of what we call NEO, new employee orientation, you go through um, one of the training courses is outlined around unconscious bias, just to create a, a sense of awareness for it. And for you to see how important it is to the 
moral fabric of our company. Um, ultimately, what we're trying to do is make sure people have an awareness uh, of how unconscious bias creeps into our daily um, life and work and, and can potentially impact decision making. Uh, so, so I think evangelizing a consistent message over and over again is critically important. And then the other thing to do is, is to ensure that we're uh, having the right level of buy-in at the top levels of leadership, but all the way down. So some things that we're doing, for instance, in 2020, our chief executive officer, Dave Foss, signed a CEO uh, action pledge, which stated Jack Henry's commitment to DEI in the workplace. And that was uh, signed along with uh, close to 2,500 other CEOs as part of a consortium. Some other things we're doing, um, so several of our director level leaders and above uh, participate in an annual summit, which, by the way, we just completed uh, last uh, at the end of last month. And so some of our key development areas and takeaways are centered around diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. So those are a, some, a sampling, Sandrog, of some of the things that we're doing at Jack Henry to, to, to address this uh, and, and help uh, create and foster the growth that we need to evolve the company. So if you are trying to establish this diversity, equity, and inclusion, like culture, isn't it a living organism? And uh, isn't yeah. it not something like you will apply once? You can't just kind of do it once and leave it. And with people coming in and out, with them having different experiences and perceptions about DEI, how do you maintain that threshold level of adherence to the standards and the levels you would expect in an organization? Who, who monitors it and who takes ownership of it? Yeah, it, fantastic question. So the short answer is it absolutely is a living, breathing, evolving um, effort. It's not a one and done, but I would submit to you most things in our lives now are no longer one and done. Um, and so what we've done at Jack Henry is we've established some dashboards within our business units so that we can um, identify track and, and make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable to those diversity statistics that are meaningful and important to our company. And you know, I, here's what I would say to that. I, I think a lot of organizations um, are going to be taking this approach uh, as they move forward. Uh, and so this is going to be a continually evolving thing for us. Uh, we've recently augmented our team with additional subject matter experts uh, around DEI and B. Uh, we've embedded it in our uh, director summit, like I shared earlier. In addition, we have uh, what we refer to as BIGS, business innovation groups. Um, those are our small focused groups that serve a, a subset of our Jack Henry community. So for instance, uh, I am the executive sponsor for a group called JHA uh, Anywhere. So, so that, that is a group of people that are, their primary office is in a remote part of the United States. So they do not go to a traditional Jack Henry office on a consistent basis, but rather work remotely from perhaps their home or apartment. Um, there are many other business innovation groups. There's one focused on uh, women at Jack Henry. There's one focused on people of color. There is one focused on uh, military. 
And we're continually trying to explore um, other groups. For example, we have a, a group focused on uh, LBGTQ uh, plus uh, uh, groups. And, and again, the landscape continues to evolve and change. And so we want to create environments where we can add value and where necessary, we'll create additional business innovation groups where that value can be further um, extrapolated for the, for the benefit of the company. But like I said, the community and the customers we serve. Now, would you say there should be a task force? So in a way you describe that, okay, people have been made responsible for things like this. Yep. You could give them the title, but what about the empowerment? What about giving them the, you know, not carte blanche, like not ultimate authority, but how do you enable them so that they can make this happen and they don't say we tried, but it didn't work to the level you and us expected? Yeah, so you, you started with, uh, have you created a task force of sorts? And in, in actuality, we have uh, through these business innovation groups uh, who meet regularly, consistently, and then provide updates to the rest of the company um, on a consistent basis on the things that they're doing, the things they're prioritizing, the things they're learning uh, in tandem. We evangelize those out in our um, external facing uh, communication. So uh, as part of our, um, our efforts to educate our customers on the value propositions of how we are different from our competitors, we talk routinely about our DEI and B efforts. Um, some of those are tied to uh, our ESG efforts as well. Uh, in our sustainability report, we talk about some of these things. So there is a level of empowerment um, at those uh, business innovation group levels, there is a hierarchy. So there are um, elected positions. Uh, there are officers of each group. Uh, those officers serve a term. Uh, they're, they're, um, their term is um, ultimately um, uh, documented. There are web uh, internal websites uh, uh, within our, our environment where people can communicate with those groups in an ad hoc way, uh, uh, get updates. You'll see a notification going out to all of Jack Henry on, on things that are happening on a consistent basis. So I think there's an ample level of empowerment. Now, again, this is a continuous process for us. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to evolve it and, and, and uh, make it more meaningful, more impactful, um, you know, through, through our work, through our behaviors, through our actions. So I would think that the empowerment is absolutely there within Jack Henry. But again, it, it's, it's an evolving process. And you know what? Before any of this could happen, or rather keep this as a sustained effort, we need the, the leaders at the top to give a commitment, not just to kick it off, but ongoing sponsorship and support. And there have been reports on while people do lip service just to make it as a good PR play, but behind the scenes, they would always weigh against the hard ROI investments. If you were to you know, wear the hat of a CEO for a for-profit organization, of course you would wanna do this, but how do you think leaders who may be listening to this could in a way translate the value that DEI offers into hard ROI so that they are not tempted to move away from it. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a hard question, really, because it, you know, 
we, like many other organizations, have discussed that very thing, you know, the, the investment in time um, to, to formalize these programs, these approaches, um, they're, they're time consuming. But I, I think we came to it from a position of we must do this. And, and, and the reason we came to that conclusion is we felt it was culturally the right thing to do for, for Jack Henry. And so, you know, I, I just, we have three uh, rules that essentially govern what, how we manage and operate the company here. And one of those rules is it's the right thing to do. And, and so, you know, our C level uh, team, we refer to that as our, our corporate leadership team, we meet consistently and we're talking about DEI and B routinely. We're talking about ESG routinely. And so, for example, we set clear and visible commitment at the executive level. Uh, so, you know, I am the executive sponsor for one of those business innovation groups. Other uh, C-level individuals are um, also uh, sponsors, executive sponsors of other business innovation groups. To that end, uh, we're continuing to hire and promote diverse talent. Um, you know, right from the onset. Uh, and, and so, and then by, by, at the same time, we're, we're continuing to listen and learn from our people. Um, and the most important aspect of that is creating an inclusive uh, workplace culture. And so those are all foundational components that if you're doing these as just a simple matter of how you manage and operate your company anyway, then the cost structure isn't as great as it would be is if it, as if you're trying to build something from scratch organically on top of something that you already have. So this is really um, the, the way I, I've come to understand it. And I'm feeling passionate that the cost is really not as great as one would think, given the fantastic culture that we have here at Jack Henry. Now, that may not be the case for other organizations, but it is certainly the case here. In fact, um, when some really, truly awful things were happening in the world uh, over the last several years, we were talking about these things as a small group, as a large group. Um, and we were not afraid to, to, to have um, very difficult, hard conversations around these topics. And one of the people shared that they almost feel insulated from all the negative things, the bad things that are happening in the world because of our fantastic culture. It feels like we're protected by this bubble, but it was also known that that bubble could be penetrated at any moment. And as soon as the bubble's penetrated, now you're kind of at a level st uh, state with other companies that maybe haven't made the, the, the progress or made the investment in DE&I. So if you were to take all of this and I'm assuming we did a good job, could you pinpoint specific benefits the business gets from it? Because while we could have started this conversation with the value, but then that could be, we could speak about value from different angles, but on the ground, as you are implementing this in your organization, what are those tangible, soft or hard ROI separate, but what do you see as a positive difference this has brought about in the way your organization exists and create value? Well, it supports uh, what we call one Jack Henry, which is uh, a common approach to the way we communicate, the way we collaborate, and we do it with consistency and transparency. Um, and so the, the way I would articulate that to you 
is way back uh, almost, uh, I guess it would be three years ago now, we went into a almost full-time remote posture with the company. And that was a response to due to the pandemic. And honestly, we thought it would be for a, a couple of weeks and we would uh, curb the spread of the virus the pan- and the pandemic would you know, slow down and we would resume normal life. And, and boy, was I wrong. Um, uh, you know, here we are uh, three years later and we're still struggling with how do we get people back to office uh, settings, traditional meeting settings in a, in a, in a productive way. Um, but here's what we learned along the way. We were an incredibly resilient group of people at Jack Henry. We um, stayed really connected to one another on a human level. Uh, we would start meetings off just with a simple wellness check. Uh, we would um, then uh, gravitate towards the, the meeting topic at hand. And, and a lot of things that were top of mind for us was how do we install solutions at customers if we're not able to go on site? How do we do it remotely? And so that posed an entirely new challenge for us. And we were able to um, manage through those challenges by you know, leveraging those uh, uh, three C's and a T that I referred to earlier. And um, we had virtual coffee clutches and virtual happy hours, and we celebrated our wins together. And so while those are, are hard um, things to ultimately determine whether or not the investment paid off or not, here's what I will say. Our service metrics, so I, remember I said you, you have to build cert metrics a da- on a dashboard that you're holding yourself accountable to, that you're communicating. So you know where the, where the mark is that you're trying to meet or exceed. Our service levels actually went up uh, over where they were pre-pandemic. And that is a testament to our people that were doing whatever it took, which you know I talked a little bit earlier about doing the right thing. Another key element of, of our company is doing whatever it takes. And so during a pandemic where no one was uh, working together in person, but rather remotely working together, we did whatever it took to make sure that our customers were getting the exceptional service they deserve. The other aspects, on those dashboards, of course, are uh, how are we running our 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 our, our PL? So uh, I am the head of a business unit. I have PL responsibility. How are we managing spend? Um, you know, we have a run rate for an office, whether one person goes in or a thousand people go in. And so how do we manage that spend um, accordingly? And so all of this uh, working together in a remote manner, um, I leveraged from the business unit that I'm, uh, or the uh, business innovation group that I lead, the the JHA Anywhere group, in that now um, my small focused innovation group for anyone that was identified as a full-time remote employee and before the pandemic, that was plus or minus 30% of the company. Now 96% of the company is full-time remote. So guess what? My business innovation group has now become the largest one at Jack Henry. And so now we have a a much diverse group of people that are helping each other to acclimate. There are some people that had never worked remote before, so they didn't know what to expect. They were worried because the doorbell would ring. They were worried because a baby would cry in the background. And and again, I think all of those soft, untangible uh, benefits really drove our culture to being stronger than it even was before. And we had an exceptional culture before the pandemic. 
So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And let's talk about the accountability part, right? Because as we said, this is a moving target. So while we are looking for leaderships to show commitment, but the people who are given the opportunity to lead this effort, of course, they have to have responsibility, enablement, empowerment, but so does everyone else in the organization. But what does it take for you to literally rally the troops where everyone says, yes, we want to go the DEI way? What's that magic recipe? Please stay tuned, we'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, you know, Rob, when we're looking at leadership, yes, they have to step up, show ongoing support commitment. When you want leaders in the other way, in the sense like the folks who take responsibility of the DEI efforts, they, of course, are being tasked to do it. But the people who are more to be carried with us in this direction with respect to DEI, they didn't sign up for this. Right. What do you do so that everyone sings Kumbaya, becomes a village? are part of a village which wants to go the DEI way? Well, I think it's all around engagement. <clears throat> and so I, I think the first question we ask is, um, how do we support our teams? How do we educate them on DEI? And, and remember I, from an earlier uh, question, I, I introduced the concept of belonging, which for me is where the rubber meets the road. And 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 so it's one thing to, have, to believe you have a diverse environment. It's another to believe that you have shown equity across a group, across a company. Um, it's one thing to say that when we've, we've included people, the reality is the people have to feel like they belong. And if they don't feel they belong, then the D, E, and I probably is insignificant. The next thing that I do is I, I look at leaders. So, you know, a, a leader can be someone that people under them, uh, a program or projects under them or an individual contributor that is viewed in, in, in a light where people go to them uh, naturally. And so um, I ask, are we encouraging leaders to take part in all of the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging training that we provided? I'm, you know, the ones that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, some people have um, been with the company for years, decades, at well before we put together this training. So are we making sure that they're A, aware of the training, B, that they're uh, uh, participating in the training, uh, that they're uh, helping us to build that training so that it's impactful in a, in a meaningful way? 
Um, the next question I ask is, are we including the, the DEI and B team in, in our quarterly all hands meeting? So every business unit uh, has a quarterly uh, all hands meeting where they give a essentially a state of the, of their business uh, meeting. And I, uh, and countless other uh, executive leaders as part of that update, give a DEI and B update, uh, either coming in partnership with uh, another business innovation group or with our HR business partner, um, or we invite people in uh, from the outside who perhaps have evolved certain elements in ways that maybe we're curious about. Uh, the next thing I look at is, are we ensuring that our leaders uh, across the business units understand where their teams are today uh, and where we would like to go from here today. Uh, what is our, our growth trajectory? What's our, our, um, our next milestone along the way? And then another thing that I want to ensure as part of our daily operation is that we're holding inclusive meetings, that we're inviting uh, all of the voices to the table and seeking out those voices who aren't at the table, or if they're at the table, maybe they're not participating either because they're they don't feel comfortable or they're reluctant, or maybe they're just taking it all in and they're and they're processing. Um, so, so those are the things that I think are critically important to to ensuring and driving a uh, what's really a culture of change around DEI and B. So when you are looking at all the people who you try to bring together. The approach as things are being, you, you, you start with a plan, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things which you've seen go wrong and or likely to go wrong and we should be ready to encounter them? Yeah, so <clears throat> there, there are from time to time are examples where someone will do something or say something that um, is viewed as offensive to someone or perhaps, you know, um, doesn't sit well with people. And oftentimes it's really just an education factor. <clears throat> but, you know, here's, here's the reality. In, when you bring a group of leaders together, there, there are different personalities. There are uh, people that have more of, of an extroverted personality. There are some that have an introverted personality. And as someone that's facilitating a meeting, uh, you have to know how to actively engage people in a way that the extroverted people are taking over the topic and creating an environment that is not conducive to, to hearing from, from other voices around the table. Conversely, if there's someone that's introverted and they're quiet at the table, um, don't assume that they're not interested. Don't assume that they're um, reluctant to share thoughts because they don't have any. In fact, uh, sometimes people are processors. In other words, they just take time to hear the message, think about the message, frame a response to the message or a, an opinion towards the message. So I think some of the early mistakes we make is trying to force this agenda on people. You have to make it so it's natural and organic, not something that feels like it's a mandate or a requirement. Uh, and, and candidly, I think when we first started having these types of meetings about the topic of DEI and B, there was a, a subset of people that would kind of take a deep breath and kind of 
look at you funny, like, okay, this is a mandate. This is another one of those things like sexual harassment training, for example. And again, I go back to education. Um, I, I go back to uh, the concept of unconscious bias. No matter how we view things, no matter whether we're an extroverted person or an introverted person, I think it's safe to say we all have unconscious bias. And being not being afraid to talk about those things early on, I think that was a mistake we made. We were kind of dancing around some of these really sticky conversations. And I think as long as you are willing to show courage and commitment to the conversation and you do it in a tactful and respectful way, and you're really receptive to feedback, you know, I say this a lot to my team, feedback is a gift and what you do with that gift is completely up to you. And I, I shared with you an example of that earlier. So in a town hall meeting, uh, Sanjog, I, I stepped on a landmine with, with my team and, and other people that were listening to the live stream. And so what I wanted the people that were listening to that um, narrative hear from me as a leader of business was that your voice is important. I want to hear your voice. So if you have a voice... Or you uh, uh, and you want to be heard, send me an email, send me an IM, uh, seek time with my uh, business partner who will help find time on my calendar for us to talk about it, meet up to discuss it. And I would have been fine had I just closed there. Instead, I closed with something that I felt was going to be really impactful. And instead, it was impactful, but for a different reason. And what I said was, you're, you have a voice with me and I will make sure that your message doesn't fall on deaf ears. Well, what I didn't realize at the time is that the person that was actually posing the question to me was hearing impaired and that I was making a potentially harmful and objective and objectionable uh, comment that wouldn't sit well with people that were hearing impaired. And so what, what happened at that precise moment in time was really neat. So it took two human beings that showed understanding and empathy for one another, one person being myself, the other person being someone who was hearing impaired, who took into account that maybe Rob didn't fully understand the, the impact of his statement, and they took it on themselves to educate me on, on how I should think about saying something differently next time. And it took me, a humble human, to say, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. I, I never meant to, to do harm there. In fact, I tried to do good. Thank you for educating me. So you boil all that down, Sanjog. And there's so many lessons there. The first lesson is don't be afraid to make a mistake because if you're, if you're fearful and you're operating out of fear, you're, you're likely going to make a mistake or you're not going to do anything at all. And that's even a bigger mistake sometimes. So you, doing something is le at least that, doing something. The third element was that someone showed the courage and commitment to say, Rob, you said something that isn't really well suiting you or others. And so the last point that I'll make that came out of that was being willing to learn, being willing to adjust and being humble to say, hey, look, I made a mistake. I said something that I didn't mean to say. I'm sorry. So those, I, I'll leave you with those thoughts on that topic. Now, if all the people that you may have this, uh, they, they may be listening to this podcast and are attempting to do things, of course, in their respective organizations so that DEI is fully utilized. What would be a recommendation that 
when they work on this and, and develop the foundation, what should they do new, more or different so that it transcends their existence in this same organization where they get it started? What I mean is it should ideally be people dependent. Yes, leaders take charge, get things rolling. But since it's an ongoing living organism, it should not be dependent on them. If they leave the organization, the organization should still have other people who can take it, pick it up from where you left off. And the DI effort doesn't go under. Yeah. Well, let's start with where I left off, uh, which is to say words are powerful. They have meaning. They matter. And so be mindful of the fact that the words that are being used to evangelize uh, something that you, you're passionate about, something you believe in, be mindful of those words. Uh, the second thing I'll share is uh, it's one thing to say, hey, I value diverse perspectives, but it's another to create and foster an environment that permits them and, and not only permits them, but expects them and, and demands them in some cases. So, you know, when, when organizations have a diverse workforce, they bring a variety of perspectives and experience and ideas to the table. Uh, you know, I shared earlier with you, um, much of my career is spent managing people across the globe with a number of wonderful cultures, a number of wonderful um, uh, perspectives and thoughts uh, around how things uh, are accomplished. Uh, and so by opening your, your mind, your heart, your soul to those things, I think is critically important because at the end of the day, diverse thought can help generate new innovative ideas and better approaches to solving problems. Um, I think that the next aspect of this is to create solutions. Um, and, and so when, when ultimately when people from different backgrounds come together, work together, they are more likely than not to come up with creative solutions to a problem because you have different skill sets, different knowledge bases, different experience levels at the table versus having a smaller group of people that are all thinking about something in a similar way. That then leads you to what I consider better decision making. So, you know, ultimately diverse teams are going to make better, more informed decisions because they're considering a larger range of viewpoints and ultimately potential outcomes. Um, and I think this ultimately helps organizations um, avoid what I would consider to be um, uh, you know, what working in silos or working with blinders on because you're empowering people to come to the table with different perspectives and different thoughts. And then lastly, one, one last thing I'll comment on is I do think that it will increase your competitive advantage in the marketplace. You know, today's marketplace is shifting from a regional one to a, uh, to a global one. And some would make the case that it's been global for years. And, and so organizations that are embracing diversity, I do believe are providing themselves with a competitive advantage over those that aren't simply because you have a wider range of skills, experiences, and perspectives, which are driving faster innovation and allowing you to stay uh, ahead of the competition curve. And by the way, it helps you to attract top talent when you need it. Thank you so much, Rob, for uh, sharing your insights. Of course, you know, you're living it. So of course, your, your, the examples that you're giving and the, the, the practice, best practices that you're sharing is coming out from what you've learned, right? Some good things, some bruises. So thanks so much again for sharing it. And I hope the valuable nuggets that you've shared 
could be utilized by the other people across industry, across the globe to implement DEI in their respective organizations. So thanks so much. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed being with you today. Again, uh, listeners, please connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN, an amazing topic again on DEI. This is your host, Sanjay Gaul, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gaul. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.